DEVCOM podcast presents the Fireside Cast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DEVCOM podcast series, bringing you the DEVCOM experience year-round. Today, I will talk about how to launch and market a game with Christian Pern, marketing, Chief Marketing Officer at InnoGames. Welcome, Christian. Happy to have you here with me today. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's, it's especially interesting because, you know, uh, until like last year, I was uh, working, I don't want to say with a competitive of yours, but uh, I mean, Traving Games and InnoGames have kind of a relatively similar history in the German industry. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, there's no competition anymore, so you don't have to be worried about it. Uh, I think it wasn't before. Good thing is that the games industry is quite, quite big. So yeah, absolutely. I guess. We, we can get along. Yeah, absolutely. I like Hamburg as well, so, so it's all good. Sure. <laughs> so, Christian, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, like uh, what you do at, uh, at InnoGames. I kind of butchered your role in the beginning already when I said marketing, but it's Chief Marketing yeah. Officer at InnoGames. So maybe you tell a bit about uh, your path uh, into the industry and what you do at Inno right now and what Inno is focusing on uh, in general at the moment. Sure. Um, yeah, so Christian, Chief Marketing Officer of InnoGames, um, I'm with the company for close to seven years already, um, spending my time obviously with marketing as my title um, tells. Before I started at InnoGames, I was actually working uh, at Zalando in Germany, um, heading the CRM department. Um, and basically, I do have an engineering background, so coming from, let's say, a more rational studies. Um, and that's basically what I also apply in, in my day-to-day -day work at InnoGames. So um, we've been building up some very interesting um, systems and reporting systems at InnoGames, which tell us about the performance of our campaigns. And that's basically our kind of duty we do have. So our job is to kind of invest the budgets we do have in the most profitable way to scale the company, the revenues in a profitable way. Well, that's, that sounds good. And uh, so how, let me start with the easy topic of how do you launch a game? <laughs> obviously, yeah, yeah, we want to... Uh, super easy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously, we want to dive a little deeper into that. I mean, um, you have tremendous experience, obviously, at InnoGames uh, with how to bring games to the market. And you've been one of the uh, few companies that were actually able to repeat this. And so um, not only have like the, the first game, the first hit, but you were able to create more games um, following that and successfully take him to the market so maybe let's start for um what do you need what are the requirements to um be able to market a game like the first things you need to make sure uh to, to you know yeah. to make your job easier the, f the first things i mean that might sound a bit odd but of course you need a good game right you, you need some kind of great game which you which you can market i think you can have the best marketing in the world but if you don't have the game to kind of bring it to the audience that won't fit um the other way around you might have the greatest game game on earth with let's say a reasonable good marketing and i think you will basically still do your job so it's the combination out of a great game and uh, marketing and uh, throughout the last seven years, we saw some tremendous changes in the whole industry. Um, the mobile market was opened up, was kind of a green field. You were able to do a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things were actually unknown at the very beginning. And uh, it was rather about kind of scaling the business into this new um, yeah, business sector of mobile gaming. Um, but today, I would say it's definitely changed. Uh, it's a very mature industry. Um, it's, it's kind of very crowded. Um, to get as exposed to the customer, to the player himself, is not too easy. So um, when 
launching a game, I think it's super important to understand the target group. So who do I actually want to address? Um, and how can I actually um, show my ads to this audience? And that again sounds so easy, but actually it's not because um, to really understand the marketing measures you're running, you need some good systems in place. As I mentioned earlier, um, you need to have on, on one side the cost. So you need to integrate all of the cost data into your data warehousing BI reporting structure. So you want to know where did you spend a euro. And on the other side, you need to know what are you actually earning? So which, which players are coming in? What is the average value of such a customer? So you need some kind of good lifetime value prediction to fundamentally get to the point where you can at least with a certain uh, certainty say, I'm actually spending a euro and hopefully I'm earning more than this euro. Yeah. Otherwise uh, you might have a severe business problem on the long run, right? Yeah. Um, Be and that's basically decided in the first month of a launch. Yeah. So before before we dive into like the, the specifics of evaluating that, um, there's one thing that I'd be curious about since InnoGames was originally coming from browser games and, and very successful in, in that area. And then you guys um, were able to open up the entire mobile segment for you and became successful in that space as well. Did you see any major changes in terms of how you you can evaluate um, the marketability of a game moving from one platform to the other or ultimately still be be at both. But uh, are there any things where you would say, you know, mobile has made things easier or mobile has made things a lot harder, like in terms of, I don't know, CPIs or something that are, of course, ridiculous on mobile sometimes. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so is there any, any, any thoughts on that? Uh, from a philosophical standpoint i would say nothing in life comes really easy so um there's ups and downs um, on browser i would say it's especially about the um, payment fees for instance they are way lower than on, on mobile that's for sure yeah. right so that's the big advantage of course because more money is fundamentally coming into your pocket um also there's a bit less competition when it comes to browser games but um i would also say it's it's a completely different market size we're talking about right yeah. So on mobile, the market is huge, right? Uh, there's thousands and thousands of companies and games out there that actually do want to take their part of uh, the whole market. So there's way more competition. Um, still, the advantage for companies like ours is also that we can always scale, right? There's always some more room to kind of grow in. And that's basically what we try to capitalize on. On the other hand, again, the fees are for sure higher on this platform. I'm talking about uh, Apple and Google there. Um, yeah, so both have advantages and disadvantages. What we still see that, uh, especially the very loyal players tend to play on both platforms. They do enjoy the big mm -hmm. screens on a desktop computer, but they also like to do the, let's say, small interactions in between on mobile devices, which is good, especially for our simulation and strategy games. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with, uh, I guess with uh, Forge of Vampires, for example, you, you see that quite a bit. I mean, when I last talked to you guys, and I think to Hendrik, you know, it was interesting to see, you know, how you how the split looks like and, and, and how many people still are active on both platforms, which I find very interesting since there are other players out there um, where it was where they were not successful in bringing people uh, to both worlds, pretty much. And uh, so I think it's really, really good uh, effort on your part to make that work so uh, you mentioned before that obviously you have to uh, in order to make a game successful you have to predict um, kind of the lifetime value of a user uh, in that game um, how do you do that how do you how does what's the Inno games way of uh, trying to understand if a player is going to be making you more than you pay for him or her um, trying to 
hopefully explain that in a nutshell because there's um, some good systems from our analytics department which are way more complicated than what mm. I will at least try to tell uh, in a simplified way. But uh, in general speaking, um, the first 30 days are very important to predict the lifetime value. That's what we saw, right? It's not a linear thing, linear uh, uh, function, which is kind of scaling and scaling. But uh, at a certain point, this uh, is rather than uh, a limited growth. So um, usually we consider uh, a couple of years as a lifetime value, but that's also different for us because Forge of Empires, uh, for instance, offers content for years. So. Uh, we basically take a look on, on prior cohorts and uh, see what their growth actually was and uh, then take a look on the actual payment behavior of newer players that we acquired mm -hmm. and uh, from there on do some um, yeah, predictions on the lifetime value to get a good idea of where we're actually ending up. What do you do when there's a new game? I mean, I can imagine for Forge of Empires or Elvenar um, or some of the other games you have, you can uh, look at the cohorts. And by the way, for the people that are not too familiar with what cohorts mm. are, it's usually like people that you <laughs> acquired a certain amount of time, um, for example, like on a given day or a given week or something. And then they, um, and then you track them uh, as you go along and see how many of them stay and, and how much they pay and so, and so on. I hope I, I said that right. Uh, if not, yeah, then true. feel free to correct me. You're the expert in, in the field. Um, <laughs> But uh, if we if we look at uh, some of the newer titles, um, do you take uh, data from your existing games and try to um, evaluate the success mm -hmm. of new titles based on that, or how, how do you do it for a new game where you don't have uh, historical data to analyze? Yeah, basically we're coming uh, from different sides, and what you what you said is basically also what we do. So we do have data, of course, of our games. Um, being part of the Modern Times Group, we also have um, uh, information on the uh, products of uh, uh, Congregate, for instance, to mm -hmm. see and to benchmark where we are actually at. Um, also via um, App Any, for instance, you get some good indications on lifetime value. So we we also make use of kind of reverse engineering revenues um, from the ramp up of different uh, new games in the market as we see the installs and the revenues coming in on App Any, so we can at least have some good estimation. And um, I think it's, it's here not about the kind of uh, second or third uh, point uh, or digit after the, the point, right? We are talking about um, a good expectation. So are we talking about a euro? Are we talking about two euros or five euros? That's basically in the first step what you want to know if you're launching a new game. So um, from there on, we take a look, of course, on the retention values to see, first of all, do people stick with the game? A very bright-minded person once said, if no one is actually there, no one is going to pay. That was Henrik, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I think he's very right with it. So if I don't have a game which really fits to the audience, which is yeah. not something people do want to play, and I think we are all, all gamers by heart, right? So in the in this scenario, then you would just simply not play the game. So from the retention, you at least get some good ideas where your game is going and from the very um, early payment behavior then afterwards you can at least estimate what a lifetime value could be so we estimate some upper and lower bend with this and that's uh, why the first test of a new game when it's kind of, when it's kind of f finished for the um, first um, a couple of uh, days or weeks then we do a retention test and see if people actually stick with the game do they play the game are they continuing on day two day three day four and again most probably people will not come back on day seven or eight if they actually churned so um, yeah. dropped out of the game on day two right um, and uh, if this is successful we go to the next milestone basically which then is a soft launch where we are really acquiring um, user at a certain scale to have a good prediction on 
um, the lifetime value of the users to see really if is do do people actually or players spend money in the game? Is it good enough to pay for? Coming from the CRM background, I once heard this from my point of view, very nice sentence, the customer is voting with his wallet. So basically, I think that's yeah. pretty much it, right? If something is good enough that you would want to pay for, then most probably you have some kind of fit to the market at that point. Well, I guess it's the entire way the, the free-to-play industry works. You know, you, you have your wallet and that's how you uh, define whether you, you value that product uh, a lot. Even though, uh, I got to say, like you said before, there's so many people in the game that are actually non-payers that still contribute uh, tremendous value to the entire ecosystem. So I guess if, you, if, if you guys didn't have of your course. like 80, 90% of people pr probably that are not play, not paying in your game, uh, the game would not be fun for all the payers. So I guess it's always the, the and, overall ecosystem. And we ecosystem take it very serious, that right? That's, that's very important for us. And that's why I said the retention really matters and we do yeah. want to have people in the game playing the game that's the first step of course and always very important for us but on the long run of course we also have to have a business model right so we we have sure. to, to have a kind of positive contribution in the end so in the beginning before you actually head to the soft launch um, do you already run certain test campaigns do you already uh, acquire certain users before that and and measure retention with different cohorts then or are you just using the community that you have from other titles to get in some users on new titles and only once you you hit soft launch then you spend money on uh, on acquiring users um let's take it a bit apart so um uh, for the retention test um it's let's say quite easy usually you're talking about two digit numbers in terms of retention right whatever day you pick but most probably this should be at least uh, more than a 10% or 15 or 20%. Um, so you can actually generate enough data points with a small sample size, so to say, to be st statistically correct in these yeah. terms, right? But as you also also stated, um, more than 90% are usually not people that do pay. So when, uh, when it comes to testing uh, the product in terms of monetization, for sure, we have to acquire more users. And that's where we already then uh, generate some higher costs when acquiring the users. So the higher the sample size for sure, um, with a certain CPI for the game, the cost per install, the costlier basically the test is. So a soft launch already costs some money. Um, and for sure, then we want to make sure that we are actually doing a nice and, and good soft launch. Um, you asked if, if we're bringing in users from our own games. Usually that's not what we do. Um, because that could well be biased, right? So yeah. we might kind of take the best people that run the test and the, the people that already fit to one game could potentially have a high chance to fit to the new game. Um, but we want to find out if uh, or how people in the market react. So usually we refrain from bringing people at the stage of a retention test or soft launch to the new games because we want to really see the market fit. Um, talking about the different channels, um, usually we do um, the retention test and the soft launch with Facebook because we um, have the kind of highest um, accuracy in terms of running campaigns there and the highest degree of freedom because we can turn them on and off very easily. So if something yeah. is not working out, which of course rarely happens, but if it happens, um, then we can definitely take off the campaigns easily, which is not the case in, uh, let's say, all channels. Um, and uh, also there we have the um, kind of best granularity of data. So we can really see, do people click on the ads? Uh, we can see the con conversion rate. Do people convert in the app store basically into the game? Um, when people are then in the game, we can really understand how the player kind of uh, um, behave in it, right? So we are again talking about cohorts. We are talking about um, a certain amount of 
um, players. Um, but from the whole kind of value added chain, we get a good impression um, on the KPIs. And those KPIs we can, of course, then compare to our live games, for instance, to Forge of Empires or Elvena and so on. And from there on, we can see where we actually are, right? So we can understand, okay, um, the, the KPIs in the game are good, but we might have still some kind of a lag um, in the App Store because the conversion rate is somewhat low. And then we can change it to a certain extent, uh, run the next test and see if we can improve um, on that, right? So we can also see that, for instance, a creative a video ad is not working out, right? And then we take it off and we replace it with another video ad right. and we see, okay, that's now picking up, um, that has uh, the impressions, that has the click rate we wanted to see. And obviously it also fits great to the game because in combination with the App Store, people are really then converting into the game. And that's basically how we approach uh, the soft launch. And once we are ready, then we do run the soft launch and um, see if if the game is kind of economically also working out um, to a certain extent, of course, um, because we definitely continue developing the games after the soft launch and to bring more content and features to the game afterwards. Yeah, I guess that's why it's called soft launch, so because you start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, uh, the, the one, you mentioned bias bef before, Lubin. There's there's also the potential, I think, for another kind of bias in that uh, in that phase, and that is when you talk about the test markets. I mean, I guess for a soft launch, you usually go into certain territories. Uh, I mean, for a while, uh, Canada and the Netherlands were like the the number two <laughs> markets everybody was going into when yeah. they tested something on mobile. I don't know if it's still the case, to be honest. <laughs> you know, people people, I guess, kind of moved away a little bit from that yeah. because everybody was going there and testing their games but to what extent um, are you um, uh, are you prone to bias in, in that phase where you for example test a game in a certain app store and then you bring it to other territories and people behave differently is that something that you mm. play around with a lot it's obvious that you are also a pro of this industry and uh, I think there's there's no clear answer to this question um, I think we, we, we tested different things and you just pinpointed it. So if you if you use a market which is maybe not kind of the so to speak best market for the game afterwards, then you might have a bias in it. And that's discussions we also had, right? Testing in some kind of territories where you might have low CPIs, but maybe even not the quality in the end you would want to see. And then your soft launch fails. And the discussion you will in the end face is that you have to argument or face the argumentation that you test it in a country which might not be kind of one of the key markets for the product later yeah. on and then you actually repeat the soft launch in one of the key markets that's why in the end we decided to um, go for um, the most important markets more or less right from the start mm -hmm. um, so meaning your soft launch again, is for example the, the then in like in germany and france and the us and, and, and so, something like united that. states for yeah. instance right um, and I think that's that's also something which changed um, throughout the course of the development of the whole mobile um, world, so to speak. Um, I think everyone in the very beginning was afraid to lose um, bigger features if you were already opening yeah, exactly. up your product in, in one of the major markets. Um, but also this feature behavior completely changed, right? So in the very beginning, you had this one uh, super important banner in the App Store for weeks, right? And today you have tons of different placements you could potentially have in different categories, on different topics, maybe even editorial content on, on the App Store itself. So um, it's still good to have those features, but the value of those features is um, 
way lower than it was yeah that's what i was just wanted to ask because back in the in the day when you know people were starting with mobile then if you had like the the overall number mm -hmm. one feature everybody went to the store and saw saw your thing and, and it was really the main driver i think for um uh, for success of, of mobile games and and now with the yeah. for example in the app store apple app store with the with a story approach mm -hmm. then it's it's way less likely that you are seen by a lot of people at the same time so it's what i've heard from many developers right now that yeah. uh, over the last couple of years the relevance of features is still there but is not as significant anymore as it used to be I, w I would say to a certain extent i don't know if you can say you can't build a business model on it but i would say it's at least very limited to build a business yeah. model on it right so as, as you stated in the beginning if you had this feature and a lot of people had access to the game and maybe to a certain extent you also had a virality around your product afterwards um you just kept going right and and that was of course great but um today um there's tons of products in the, in the app store and if you get one of the smaller features um, that w will most probably not bring in enough players to really have a kind of yeah. uh, running business model in the end so i mean of course i'm i'm this marketing guy and uh, i might have to hold this flag up but i think today uh, most probably if you really want to survive in this mobile uh, especially mobile world i think that's maybe not the too big difference in, in most of the other uh, segments like client games but i think you have to face the situation that sooner or later you have to start the marketing and um, that's where really the costs easily um, increase in a, in a company yeah i mean absolutely <laughs> there's there's cases <laughs> where you know people spent like i don't know let's say a million on a on a mobile game on actual development but uh many times uh, as much uh, actually marketing it because you know you need to get to the users on it so um how do you do this if you're like an indie? Obviously, you know, games has uh, already large communities. You have a good standing in the market, good connections to, to the app stores, and you know um, uh, with your team how you market those titles um, and, and what to do in order to promote a new game. Um, do you have any advice for like smaller studios that um, consider self-publishing their title um, or maybe working with smaller publishers that don't have the means that, that you do? Um, what would you need to look for um, in, in order to stand a chance of gaining some visibility <clears throat> in the market mm, also a tough one i would say i mean to a certain extent for sure there's there's still let's say outlets out there where you can place your product um, you can see if you at least generate a small community around your product this, this kind of term of own media right so if you do have a facebook channel if you do have very interesting um, videos on your product you can put them live on, on YouTube and you can see basically if you can generate some some traffic for your game there but again at a certain point I would say um, you might have to start advertising your product and uh, that's why I would say it's very important to have the data at hand um, when talking about game development I have the opinion that, that most of the time um, yeah, studios really invest a lot into the game itself, into the features and everything around it. And that's maybe something which is different at InnoGames because we also have a lot of systems around it. As I mentioned, the BI system, the reporting yeah. system, the analytics systems, and so on and so forth. We even have marketing systems uh, just to kind of integrate all of our data into it. Um, and I think that's, that's very important. Um, as you mentioned, you can um, see if you find uh, a publisher who's helping you um, by running um, ads for it but at that point I would really say you need to be prepared to really have the uh, data in place to see what's actually going on in your product if you bring people um, in from the marketing world 
can you get this engine up and running? You can most probably start on a smaller scale, but again, at a certain point, you really need the data to make sure that you're not burning money, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it certainly does. But now I got to say, we, we both come from this world and we've been doing it for, for quite a while. So if we talk to somebody like a new team, they've developed their great mobile game, they're super proud of it, and now they want to mm. uh, collect some data to make sure that they have the foundation to potentially market it either themselves or with the help of a publisher. Um, from your point of view, what would be the most important things they would need to track in their game to, to understand uh, in order to allow, for example, your team to do a good job? And I know the answer is it, not is not easy to that one because you could obviously track many things. And I guess yeah. uh, Inno Games and many other companies have uh, such a tremendous experience with uh, what kind of tracking points you could potentially have in a title. Um, but I guess there's some that are a little more important than others. I mean, you, we talked about retention already before and kind of mm -hmm. tracking that um, player tracking player churn, tracking the funnel, and so on. But are there any uh, any particular things that you would say that this is a must-have? So if you're a small developer, if you want to know something about your game and and about the marketability, these are the I don't know top three or five things that you need to track in a title yeah. I, I would separate it into the marketing world maybe and into the kind of product world mm -hmm. if that is actually to be separated but uh, on the marketing world for sure everyone is talking about cpis so the cost per install and that's a very personal opinion but i don't like this kpi at all because it tells you kind of nothing right um what are you paying for right is is ten thousand euros uh, expensive for a car if it's a ferrari most probably not right so the price itself is uh, is a very tough kpi but the combination of cpi and ltv so cpi yeah. on the marketing side on and the lifetime value so the money you ex expect to earn over time um in the game that's maybe the most important topic because then you can calculate your return on ad spend which is basically just the information i'm spending a euro i expect euro 20 to come back so I make a decent margin of 20 cent, for instance, and then you know that you can continue running your campaigns, um, hopefully profitable, and then you can compare the different channels, right? So if you know I'm earning whatever, or I have a return on ad spend of 120% on my display campaigns, but Facebook is 130, then I would at least assume um, that you would want to shift your budget rather towards a Facebook, right? And um, you can basically do this game in all dimensions, you could also argue you see higher lifetime values uh, in the United States and a higher return on ad spend in the United States. So you would rather run your campaigns there than maybe in good old Europe. So I think that's that's basically uh, from our side in marketing, the KPI we're always looking at. It's mm. the return on ad spend and you have some interesting proxies to that. As I mentioned earlier, from the marketing world, the uh, click-through rates, for instance, of your campaigns, are people actually clicking on the banner or are you completely off? The bandwidth you should usually end up yeah. um, the conversion rate in the app store do people convert right if they take a look on the pictures um, the the description you do have in the app store are they actually really do do they want to play this game so um, and again on the on the game side there's also a lot of kpis you can look at um, of course at first it's the retention kpis and asking do people stay with the game are, are they actually playing and then you can um, see how much and how long are they actually playing and um, fundamentally um, does anyone convert to a payer uh, in my game so uh, is my good game good enough for people to spend money in it yeah so how much time do you um, give yourself when you evaluate the return on ad spend uh, let's say you 
paid like um, let's take a euro CPI to keep it simple and uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then you launch a new game and uh, you're not sure about the lifetime value you have your predictions you you assume that the lifetime value is probably like I don't know euro 50 or so uh, on average um, how many months or years do you actually uh, let this go until you uh, decide well it's our assumptions are not quite correct I've, I've heard different things I mean I can say from my own history we usually depending on the game we had between six or nine months until we wanted to recoup um, mm. and have a have a positive return on ad spend uh, but is that kind of roughly uh, what you guys do as well or is it longer or shorter mm. so uh, coming back to the topic of the retention test and the soft launch um, that's basically then coming to the launch itself right mm -hmm. so from the soft launch we want to understand do we have kpis which kind of justify us to go into a launch mode afterwards yeah. right so we have some good expectations on it afterwards we would then start marketing the game on scale uh, on, on scale and uh, from there on that's basically the game we are playing in on all dimensions um, again i think if we are completely off the grid then we know that very fast um, that's why I said it's kind of proxy KPIs to a lifetime value. So most probably if the retention rate on a certain channel is just half of the retention rate of other channels, I wouldn't assume that the lifetime value is twice as high, right? Yeah, so sure. you can assume that it's lower. So you get some good indications. But again, to the KPI, which I don't like too much, but if the cost per install on this channel is as high as on other channels, then you already have some good estimation that this will most probably not end up in a profitable way. If you meet um, at least your bandwidth, so in our cases, we're usually talking about a bandwidth, right? We don't say it must be a CPI of a euro, right? Yeah. So we say it could be a euro, it could be a euro 30, but it shouldn't be two euro, right? So that's that's the expectations we might have on a certain channel um, or a certain partner. Then we also have an expectation on the uh, lifetime value. So for instance, uh, in the first 30 days, and uh, that's basically how we do it in a step-by-step -step approach. Um, before we have a certainty that this is actually working out to a certain extent, um, we wouldn't increase our investment on those products. Mm. But over the course of time, we learn more and we can improve our marketing. That's also an important um, uh, subject to consider. Of course, not all campaigns are optimized from day one. As I mentioned earlier, we can take off um, video ads that are not working. We can improve the video ads. We can improve the ad store, uh, app store. Of course, at the same time, we can uh, improve the game as well. And uh, that's basically why for us, it takes some time. We are, we are not um, the type of company which is just kind of putting everything in one bed, right? So we don't go to the market and say, boom, here's a couple of million. Let's, let's just do it and see what's happening, right? For us, it's kind of really building up um, uh, on a solid foundation, which is the game and the expectation of the soft launch and then in a step-by-step -step approach scaling and once we have sufficient data maybe after let's say one two or three months depending on the results itself then we really scale it up yeah and i guess when you scale up then obviously uh you know you face a slightly different um cost per installs uh, after a while depending on the territory that you're in i mean i've seen that uh, oftentimes that you know you're assuming that you get like uh, uh, almost unlimited users for like a euro or so uh, and then you realize wow if we scale this up and if we get many thousands or, uh, per month and uh, it's not as easy anymore to get the same quality for like a euro um uh, yeah, installs, indeed. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah 
That's yeah, one, one of the key challenges in, the, in that market. So um, we, we talked a bit about uh, tracking and kind of the data points. Um, let's look at the tool side of things for a moment, uh, or let, let's say the system side of things. You may already mentioned um, the tracking tools. You mentioned the BI and data warehouse that you have, which is, by the way, one of the most important things I, I think you, you need in a company that operates data-driven, that people have access to the data, and that uh, ideally everybody in the company has the same uh, view on data, and they can exchange information and talk about the same things. Um, what else do you need? What kind of what kind of tracking solutions would you say are kind of mandatory uh, for the business that you're in? Um, do you need certain people? Um, uh, that what did you build at Inno that you would kind of be able to give as a recommendation to others uh, trying to you know operate in that space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you named most of the systems already, um, the BI systems and so on. Um, of course, we need some kind of tracking provider. We, we use Adjust, for instance, and there's a couple of more out there which help you to kind of um, get at least a good overview on your um, marketing campaigns. Um, you can already post back a lot. So if, even if you don't have a BI system in place, you can um, post back a lot of data, for instance, to adjust and at least get a good impression um, on, on how your campaigns are running in terms of a return on ad spend. Um, but still, there's a lot I think one can do better with internal systems. Um, other than that, we, we on scale do have a lot of systems. As I mentioned, we have uh, we call it MAPI, the Marketing API, which is a system um, where we can run and set up our campaigns, for instance, uh, for Facebook in an automated way. Um, we do run international, and if we want to set up campaigns, and again, I think I don't have to tell too much about it, but if you want to set up uh, one campaign, say, with uh, two creatives, in 30 languages, then it's 60 different creatives yeah. with different text on it, so to speak. Uh, and of course, uh, on scale, it's good if you have some easy and nice way to, to establish that. Um, when it comes to the people you need to have on board, I think talking about um, uh, games that that are really kind of um, yeah de developed with a, with a certain team size, I think everyone would understand that you really need some kind of senior whatever game designer, some senior um, um, developer and so on. And uh, we've been touching this topic a couple of times now um, around the ad spend. Um, so if you maybe invested 100,000, 200,000 into the development of a game, which I would I would say in the mobile world is not too much, right? Um, that's I would rather consider um, a, a smaller slash mid-sized game development. Um, then you can easily invest another 200, 300, 400,000 euros into marketing when you launch the game. And as you should have senior people um, in the development of the game, I would also recommend to have at least one or two seniors when spending the money on marketing. So um, it's the combination of bright-minded people that actually know how to kind of uh, do it and which levers to pull and which boxes to tick, but also um, smart systems that really help you to kind of work in a very fast way because speed really matters in this marketing world. Yeah. So um, one thing I wanted to, to do is maybe give our listeners that are not too familiar with the entire ecosystem a little bit of a, a breakdown of the economics of, um, uh, of, a, of a mobile game. So maybe uh, if we say you make one euro with a game on the App Store, for example, um, could you help us or could you lead us through how this breaks down into what you need to spend on marketing, how much you ultimately end up with so that uh, people that are trying to get into this world get a little bit of an understanding on, you know, how does this how does this work? How, what do I need to, uh, you know, to set aside in order <laughs> to be 
kind mm. of halfway successful at least and uh, are there any any kind of tipping points is there, is there a certain threshold that I at least need to I need to spend um, so that maybe you can help help us do the math a little bit so that sure. uh, <laughs> uh, that, that people uh, yeah. understand this better yeah sure I mean I, I stated it at the beginning I'm a quite rational guy when it comes to kind of uh, uh, business uh, but still a gamer by heart so that, that might sound a bit odd when talking about euros and cents all the time but I think uh, if you really have a great game and you want to scale it, yeah. that's basically the math you also have to do. Um, otherwise, uh, there could be the minus sign in front of all your calculation, which is not too good in the in the world. Yeah. I mean, we're all, so, we're all gamers ultimately, but still, you know, we, we run this as a business. I mean, the moment I joined the industry, you know, I became yeah. uh, more than a gamer. You know, I became part of making this. And uh, obviously, you need to consider different things. And uh, so sometimes you have to talk about uh, the math part of things <laughs> and, you know, how to yeah. make sure you end up positive. Yeah, uh, yeah so, I mean, when when you say one euro, we're usually talking about uh, the net revenue, right? So yeah. basically what you have after value added tax, just to, for clarification, yeah. the user spent already more, right? So in, in Germany, it would be one euro 16 or one. Um, oh, but, you, uh, adapted to the, you adapted to the VAT that we have right now. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, times, we, yeah, we do have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody is listening to this podcast in 2021, which might be the case, you know, it would yeah. be uh, 19% again. Yeah, most I probably. Guess, yeah, most probably. Hopefully in this case, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just just to state it, right? So uh, when taking the user perspective, they were already willing to pay a bit more than you actually get, right? Um, yeah. So uh, if you say you earned a net revenue of, of one euro, um, the basic share, as we all know, is 30% of the app store. So that's basically 30 cent, which are already deducted um, by the payment fees, as we call it, or uh, the cox or whatever you want to call it. So um, then in this example, I would say um, marketing cost of 50 cent sounds fair enough at least. So which would be 50 cent in marketing, it would be 30 cent uh, to, the, to the App Store, which leaves you with around 80 cent in cost, which after marketing would give you some kind of a call it profit of 20 cent, right? So you have one euro, uh, one euro net revenue and in theory 20 cent profit, which is Sounds sounds nice, sounds good. Um, and if we consider in this example, for instance, that you've been investing 200,000 euros in, in the development of your product, um, then if you earn 20 cents per user, the math is already quite easy. Um, you need to acquire around 1 million users, which is kind of scaling the numbers already through the roof, right? So yeah. you would need a million users that on average, right, would bring in 20 cents as a value to kind of um, cover the cost of your development, right? And uh, if we now take a look on the on the whole landscape again, um, you would see that uh, you basically generated um, with one euro net revenue, a million euros in uh, in net revenue, right? Um, but at the same time, you would already have a million in cost, 200,000 from your product. Um, you would have uh, 500,000 on marketing uh, and additional the 300,000, which are um, going into the direction of the App Store itself. So um, there's a lot um, of different um, parties in the game, which are kind of eating, so to speak, uh, um, yeah, uh, pieces of your cake. Um, and I think that's that's a very interesting example, just to see where you actually have to go if you're invested into your product, if you've been building up a product. Um, so it's by far, I would say, not the case that you just simply jump in, that you do some some uh, marketing on low scale, and in the end, you can recoup all your development costs. So I think that's that example maybe shows where you have to go and you can easily, of course, just kind of cut it by half if you say my product is just 100,000, but still 
I think it's very interesting to see how the numbers have to go up as the profit is usually not a marketing profit, right? So we yeah. are still talking about marketing world. So lifetime values that also need some time to get in. But in this example, um, yeah, we are really kind of fastly talking about uh, hundreds of thousands per users you would have to acquire. Yeah, and, and even I think your example is even relatively optimistic because I mean, yeah, uh, t t tell me about a game that only costs like two hundred thousand to make. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there might there might be some, uh, and then I guess you guys in the marketing team you also want to make some money, <laughs> uh, meaning you got to be paid. So it's not only the fifty cent yeah, you pay indeed. for uh, the actual uh, user out there, but obviously the entire organization around it. I, I mean, I don't have to tell you <laughs> you know these things, but it's it's just like proving your point that uh, you know it is mm. very easy. I guess that you come to. Um, the conclusion that uh, you need some serious investment in order to be um, successful in the mobile space if you at least want to get to a point where you where you make a meaningful difference and where you have a game that yeah. is uh, visible and uh, and played by a lot of people I, I would say it's probably there are areas where you can launch a game into the mobile space and uh, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of smart uh, you know investment you can create like a small community uh, that mm -hmm. is probably able to you know help you as an indie team to uh, to sustain if, if you're lucky <laughs> But, um, you know, if you want to grow this bigger, uh, I guess it's, you know, it's easy to uh, have a business case that's even worse than the one you were uh, describing <laughs> right now, where yeah. you uh, spend like, I don't know, two, three, four million uh, and uh, only make a million and a half in revenue for a while. So uh, that, uh, that would be possible. If you see the success rate of, of new products, I think that's basically, uh, uh, un unfortunately, the ratio, I think, is not uh, that out of 10 products eight are successful yeah. i would say maybe it's rather the other way around and i think there's also a lot of products which we actually maybe never see in the app stores yeah. uh, but still they costed some kind of i guess we're, we're giving developers really good reasons to make new games right <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> like, oh yeah well no, your game your game is not going to work anyway so why bother <laughs> but that's not the, that's, that's nah, not the point nah. that's not the point we're making but i guess it is um it is getting increasingly challenging to um, position a game out there. Uh, and, and I guess even looking at, I'm pretty sure that you guys at InnoGames, uh, like many others out there, are also not successful every single time. I mean, this would be now your moment to say, no, yes, we sure. are. But <laughs> but I would be surprised if you didn't have any titles that uh, that didn't work where you said like, well, we've tried everything, but we didn't find the market for that. Uh, and if that even happens at like the, the bigger publishers and developers, uh, obviously that uh, is, is uh, it's a very challenging ecosystem, I guess, for Indies these days, yeah, indeed. and that's that's why I said that the topic around the two hundred thousand was for sure talking about smaller or mid-sized companies. Yeah. Um, the development costs at Inno Games are of course uh, way higher than a two hundred thousand ticket. We're rather talking about millions in investments there, and of course uh, to recoup it, uh, we we have to be very careful, right? Uh, as I stated, that's why we do the retention test, right? So we want to mm -hmm. find out should we at all start marketing on scale, right? Before you invest five hundred thousand euros to kind of hopefully get your development costs back, you should have a good idea if this uh, is the case at all, right? So and if you start small and learn about your KPIs and see if this is a feasible case, you can do the next step and increase um, to a certain extent uh, the budgets. And if this still holds, then you can really uh, run marketing on scale. Because I think that's also clear for everyone. If you continue to invest a couple of hundred thousand euros and find out after half a year of time that that was not profitable, <laughs> I think that's that's not a, not a place to be in the end.
Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty big bummer if that's the case. <laughs> you realize that. So, are there any countermeasures you would say that you that you have in mind? I mean, talking about the CPI, I know it's not your favorite KPI, and neither is it mine. But uh, obviously, it's uh, something that everybody in the industry is talking about when you when you acquire users. So, um, and you said like fifty cents, which I think is already on the relatively low end of uh, of acquiring people uh, out there. Um, but still, is there anything you can do using your own channels or anything that you that you touched on earlier? to you know help you out a little bit if you can't afford to you know spend like one euro two euros 15 euros like i've sometimes heard on a on a on a user um yeah as mentioned if you do have kind of um own media um the facebook pages um youtube channels uh whatever you can do there to generate some kind of viral bus that's of course hopefully been working um but to get there you're product might need to be rather this, this one in, one in a million that people really start sharing your content on their own behavior. That's that's something you can do. How much um, is that still working still... these days? Because back back in the early days when Facebook was like a, the super big thing mm. and we all had social <laughs> games, which I still find a, a, a funny <laughs> term because at that point, like companies like, you know, games already had games that were way, uh, that were way more social than any of the games on, on Facebook ever were, I think. But, uh, but, But at that point, everybody was sharing, you know, they needed uh, stuff for their farm or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. obviously that has gone down quite a bit uh, uh, these days, uh, <laughs> thanks to regulations on, on the platforms. Uh, Indeed. And, and, and so um, is that still working to some extent? Uh, can you do something in the game that encourages uh, virality? Um, or is there, uh, what do you do these mm. days in order to you know, to help? Yeah, being, being a gamer on my own, I would say if you really have a, game which is great and you have some kind of multiplayer uh, features um, I would definitely recommend this game to my friends maybe I would just kind of really invite them to to my world to my whatever um, mm -hmm. map so I think that's that's definitely something to consider uh, by the game design um, and the better the game is and maybe you can even incentivize this uh, to a certain extent and say okay if you, if you do invite um, someone you get whatever uh, currency or building or whatever you have in the game um, that's something you can do um, and of course, again, uh, this might give you some uh, player you didn't have to pay in our small calculation, the 50 cent yeah. for. Um, and uh, it's basically um, for us, it's optimizing along the whole value added chain, right? From from the creative itself to the app store appearance, to the onboarding, the tutorial in the game, um, to the to the features we do have, like multiplayer features and so on, uh, late game features, the events in the game and everything is basically... Um, um, yeah, all around the, the whole topic to make this kind of engine, if you will, um, run for us. How important are um, certain things like video monetization in, in games these days? I mean, in the uh, back when it started, it was just a, a small part of uh, additional revenue generated. Um, how, how important is that now? I mean, obviously, I've also played quite a few mobile games, so most of them have uh, <laughs> uh, something like that in there. Um, is that, can, can you say something about like uh, how much you focus on this at Inno Games? Yes, and the clear answer is uh, not too much right now. Mm -hmm. um, for our games, we tried it, um, and as well as everything, um, we do run A-B tests, and we actually found out that, for instance, for Forge of Empires, that's not really a case for us. Um, but I completely understand why uh, the in-game ads are a great case for other companies. I mean, the, the most interesting part from my point of view is you earn some money without the user having to pay for it, right? So it's rather small transactions at that point. Um, the user is more or less uh, simply watching a couple of ads 
and you get some money for it. And I think that's that's a great chance um, to also um, yeah uh, get some revenues from from the majority of, of players, right? So I think that's that's the use case. A lot of those cases or games um, I see are rather short term, right? Um, again, for Forge of Empires, we're talking about two years, three years of people that do play more, maybe even multiple rounds. And uh, I think ads to a certain extent are rather distractions in that case. Um, but a lot of games that are out, uh, out there do make uh, good use of those ads. And again, as a um, player on my own, I also enjoy the ads if they are implemented in a great way, right? Um, being uh, part of the Modern Times group, for instance, uh, congregate with Idle Frontier and so on. So if you can kind of double your rewards by watching a video ad, I think that's something, right? You you really get some some benefit as a player, and of yeah. course the company gets some benefit um, while exposing the ad. So I think that's that's a win-win situation for everyone. So um, that's that's definitely working out. Um, to be entirely honest, I'm not an expert on uh, the in-game ads, but as far as I know, there's companies that do make 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe even above of their revenues coming from those ads. And I think it's, it's a valid business model. What about the other side of things, like the marketing part of this? I mean, there's obviously two sides to that. One is you can offer it to players to, uh, and, and they watch the videos and to get some cool, uh, you know, unlock some feature in the game or get double the rewards or something like that. Hmm. How interesting is this for you as an advertiser? I mean, if you uh, are you placing Forge of Empires or other games in other people's games, um, is, is, is it are you using it that yeah. way? Because that, that's that was also part of where my question was coming from. Because that could help mm. you like reach maybe lower uh, CPIs in that case. Um, yeah, indeed, of course, that's also part of our marketing mix, um, and we can get access to other games inventory by different ways from from Google. Uh, over Facebook, Facebook ad network, for instance, or mm. most of the traffic is with the networks itself, um, talking about the unities of the world and so on and so forth. Um, for us, it's always about kind of finding the right context. Um, so where do we actually, or where can we advertise a Forge of Empires in other games uh, where we do find people that would want to play Forge of Empires, right? That was yeah. a very interesting sentence, I think, but it makes sense, hopefully. Um, that's the job we are doing in, in those uh, network channels, right? Because um, we also see that there's different game styles um, that are maybe even too fast. Um, the hyper casual ones, for instance, where the kind of context is maybe not the best for us, right? So we are, we are rather uh, seeing very low CPIs, which is great, but unfortunately um, disproportionately uh, lower. Um, lifetime value so in the end we would lose money advertising yeah. that very different games obviously so how precisely can you target uh, using those ad networks uh, let's say you you see games out there where you would say well i i, I want to be part of that game but you want to automate that process to some extent so you don't have to deal with all the different individual products coming <laughs> up so how how much how much influence do you have and how good does it actually work uh, we don't have too much influence <laughs> and it works okay, I would say. Okay. Um, right. so, um, I don't want to be too, too pessimistic on it, but um, as, as you stated, it's, it's a very interesting world we are living in. And I don't know if there's any other industry where you would kind of advertise uh, your kind of, you, you said it in the very beginning, competitors <laughs> product, 
right? So most probably you wouldn't find a whatever Volkswagen uh, magazine if you buy a Mercedes, right? Yeah, um, most likely not. Yeah. They, or they when you when nice you turn on your your ignition or something in the car, or if you have an electric vehicle, <laughs> you, the screen pops up, and then you're yeah. in a I don't know in a Volkswagen, and then you get a get a BMW ad or something would be a little weird, right? Yeah, yeah. indeed. And, but but that's that's how it is. And again, I I completely understand uh, why that's the case. Um, so. For us, let's climb, climb kind of, or let's let's take a rather broader overview on the different channels, right? You have a Facebook, um, which has a lot of data about their <clears throat> user on the platform, um, which is great for us. Again, of course, we are always um, keeping data privacy, um, and uh, we we always stick to the regulations, no doubt about it. And uh, still, we can um, target different um, groups, so to speak. So uh, we can target different ages, we can target different years. So they do have a lot of data. Um, that's what people also refer to Wallet Garden because uh, kind of Facebook is building up a nice wall and fence around it for no one kind of really to tap in it. You can just make use on the Facebook platform uh, and the Facebook ecosystem of this data. But you can be pretty precise um, on all those topics, which is a good one. Then you have other channels, um, for instance, also um, the Google, um, App campaigns, um, which are self-optimizing to a certain extent, and then the Google, Google also has some some good data to optimize on it, which is also good for us. Um, and then you have the networks, um, where a lot of traffic from other games is in. Um, and what makes it really hard for us is that a lot of this traffic is basically shifting. Um, so let's take a look on the kind of um, perspective of the game um, developer, right? Um, so if you are integrating ads into your game. Your goal basically is you want to have the highest um, uh, revenue per impression of this ad, right? That's yeah, your target. You don't care for any click rates. You don't care for <laughs> any conversion rates in the store or whatever the uh, return on ad spend of the one who's actually buying your traffic is. Um, no, you want to make sure you have the, they have the best inventory <laughs> in all the different territories <laughs> right. so that whenever a user clicks on it, they better get a new video so you get more money. That's, that's pretty Indeed. much what you want. But the, the, the strange thing that comes on top of the whole system is um, that a lot of um, uh, game developers now have their own mediation platform. So you don't stick with just one network. You say, mm -hmm. I have different networks. And if I know that whatever um, costs per uh, thousand impression, I do get whatever, five euros here and I get six euros there, then you go for the one with the six euros, right? But that could change the other day. And that's making, of course, our lives also quite hard to optimize um, on a kind of per app level. Usually we, we uh, don't even know which app it actually was. Um, usually we just get some kind of IDs. But again, on testing purposes, that's what I mentioned earlier. We, we do see the activity coming from it. We can see, uh, or, um, yeah, um, predict to a certain extent uh, the value of, of uh, people coming from the source and that we can uh, that way we can navigate around that a bit more but usually we are rather talking about the genres uh, we are targeting there and uh, the most important topic there is really also to have some good account managers on the other side um, helping you really kind of uh, uh, getting a bit more insights on, on what you're actually buying there and to optimize the traffic acquisition yeah so there's there's one question that I've been wondering about um, regarding uh, the infamous iOS 14 and the tracking changes. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about uh, you know how to do amazing marketing work. Um, 
what are you going to do if you don't have a job anymore after iOS 14 is released? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But it how do you, pretty how do you direct? Do no. <laughs> <laughs> well, retiring, you must get, make good money at Inno Games. No, so, um, yeah. no, on, on a serious note, um, how's that? Uh, how's the tracking changes that uh, Apple has talked about? How are they affecting um, everything we talked about so far, especially the tracking mm -hmm. of uh, of users and understanding, uh, you know, uh, the the value of, of users when you uh, bring them into a game. Overall, I would say it's maybe the biggest change in the marketing world I have ex have been experiencing so far. And uh, to be also very honest, also the, the one which is really short term on short notice. Yeah. So the, the fair answer is, I think no one really knows yet, right? There's different solutions uh, we can basically uh, try. Um, once iOS 14 is out there. So maybe maybe for those uh, who are listening and uh, don't really uh, know what, what Apple basically did there, they, they've been basically yeah, um, cutting out the IDFA, which is an identification, an ID um, for, for users, or to better say, I think it's, it's rather appropriate to say devices, right? Yeah. So um, over the different networks we were just talking about, Facebook saw this ID, Uh, Google saw the same ID and all the other networks saw the ID as well. Pretty right? much so, a device device fingerprint that uh, tracking apps have been have been using. Yeah, yeah. an ID basically on, on the device, um, which was kind of globally available, so to speak. Um, and that's not gone, but uh, it needs an explicit consent, right? So mm -hmm. if we want to get it, uh, we have to ask the user first. They get a system message asking if they really want to give away this um, ID or not. Um, and uh, of course, there's a lot of um, systems that do rely on this ID. Kind of, I would more or less say most of the tracking solutions were really built around this ID. The same, or not the same, but kind of equal ID exists for, for Google as well. And I think it's a valid discussion because it's basically also the, the same discussion we've been seeing around uh, browser and cookies and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, My very personal opinion is that um, there will be some good solutions sooner or later um, helping us to at least um, get to the same functionality as we've seen before. There will be some functionalities that we can definitely cross out. I think a lot of those uh, were actually not used by ours um, so far, but also there's limited amount of features we will definitely not see for the time being talking about facebook for instance um, and the kind of granular targeting they are doing so um, the optimization um, algorithm, algorithms um, running on their site might be at least um, yeah be affected short term um, but again um, that's that's a big change um, Apple is offering the SK Ad network um, to integrate, which uh, holds a limited set of information, which is kind of good enough to continue, but maybe not good enough to optimize on. And I think it uh, will be very interesting to see if and how um, this uh, yeah, tracking um, solution will be optimized in the future. Um, do, you, do you think there's a chance that the mobile marketing world is like strong enough together if they, if they join forces to convince Apple to kind of pull back on this? Mm, I, I would answer the, the, the question in a different way. Um, being the engineer I am, I can at least think of about a lot of solutions, uh, which I think are better in terms of data privacy for people out there, but still grant access 
um, to good ways of yeah. campaign optimizations. That might again sound a bit odd, but I think it's about the technical implementation in that case. Yeah. And now we have we don't have the old implementation anymore, but at least from my point of view, there's a lot of good technical implementations which could be let's say equally good once established. And that's what I actually hope for. But because mm. from my point of view, um, we should all respect data privacy and we should absolutely. all go into this yeah, direction. Yeah. Again, that doesn't mean that we should destroy some kind of um, uh, industries or whatever. Yeah. But but again, from my point of view, um, if everyone is behaving accordingly, then then that's a good one. Um, again, personal opinion is, is also um, that Apple, I think, I cannot speak for Apple for sure, but I think Apple also has an interest that... Um, people on the platform do see relevant ads, right? I think um, that's something which won't go away. People are used to this uh, kind of model from the good old days of television uh, to the mobile apps now. And uh, if you you don't have to pay, but you can watch some ads, I think at least everyone is hopefully, I think not everyone, but I think most people are happy if the ads they are exposed to are at least somewhat relevant. Yeah. So, and I think that's it. I mean, that, that would be an ideal case and almost like a win-win scenario if like that change is triggering um, technological creativity that people come up with indeed. better solutions than before yeah. while respecting data privacy. Uh, that would definitely be a great situation um, for mm-hmm. everybody because I can't imagine if people get asked, do you want to share your device information with InnoGames, with Christian, <laughs> this guy there? <laughs> you know, then they would probably say, ah, I'm not so sure about it. But if there's better solutions where it can, could be done uh, you know, in, in a way that people don't yeah. feel it's intrusive, then uh, I really think that c- it could be a, a, a good um, you know, uh, solution uh, for everybody. Um, but I, I guess it affects, like you said in the beginning, it affects people quite a bit because it was on short notice, relatively mm. short notice for the for the world, and we're talking about like a billion dollar industry here. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> it's not that yeah. uh, you know people aren't yeah. a little bit nervous about it. I think. <clears throat> yeah, and and that's why I say we are preparing as good as we can. Um, maybe that's not really kind of uh, helping at that point, but at least the um, rules are the same for everyone, right? Yeah. So. Um, it's not that someone else is better off or worse off in this case. So um, I, I think um, I think we will see some some more implementations and other solutions uh, soon to this issue we have right now. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Christian, thank you so much uh, for the marketing crash course uh, we've been uh, <laughs> going through. Uh, it was a it was a fun conversation. We could have gone on for like uh, a couple hours, I guess. Uh, you know, it's a it's a topic I also feel relatively passionate about. But I wanted to stay in the background, let you uh, <laughs> let you talk. We can we can meet at some point and exchange some thoughts on uh, on this sure. offline. Uh, I really hope that uh, for our listeners, uh, you guys see it as valuable uh, as I did uh, recording this with you, Christian. Um, it was a lot of fun. I want to thank you again. Uh, wish you uh, all the best and. Um, I'm pretty sure you will still have a job in the post iOS 14 <laughs> times. <laughs> thanks again. Let's hope the best. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Thank you for listening to a DevCom podcast produced by Sven Fossing. Executive producer, Stefan Reichardt. Music by WeLoveIndies.com. Supported by Bayer Dynamic. High-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.